Welcome to the Sustainable Future Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Chang. Each episode, we investigate and discuss the latest topics in the environment through the mindsets of nonprofit founders, environmental activists, scientists, business leaders, and many others. Today, I have the great pleasure of welcoming Miss Tina Spindler to the Sustainable Future Podcast. Tina Spindler is a lifelong garden lover. As a University of California Master Gardener since 2006, she led the Master Gardener volunteers who created the Farm and Food Lab Garden at the Orange County Great Park in partnership with the City of Irvine. Her nonprofit experience includes serving as treasurer for the Kramer Foundation and the Spindler Family Foundation. Hi, Ms. Spindler. Um, just to start off, can you tell us a bit about your background and what led you to this point in your career at the Great Park Garden Coalition and the Master Gardeners Program? Sure, happy to. Um, I've been a lifelong gardener, so I uh, gardening started probably when I was about eight years old and my mom gave me my first packet of flower seeds, Cosmos, as as uh, luck would have it, which are super easy to grow. Uh, so I've always loved gardening. Um, by education and career profession, I have a degree in accounting and spent my professional career as a financial analyst, um, accountant, uh, ended up being a VP of finance for um, a real estate investment company, um, but along the way was always passionate about garden, always had a garden. And uh, when I retired from that career uh, and my oldest kid graduated from undergrad and um, I was able to pursue my love, I enrolled in the training to become a master gardener. And through that training and that experience um, since 2006, I've been involved in a lot of different things. Uh, and I have just blossomed. I've been so fulfilled being able to pursue that. Uh, some of the more notable things um, that I've been involved in is uh, starting the Farm and Food Lab demonstration garden at the Great Park. Uh, that was amazingly fun and, and continues to be a great resource for people. Uh, during that exercise, um, the Scott's Miracle Grow people were interested in becoming a supporter of that garden, and so I got to know them. They they supported it, uh, in, to the tune of six figure support for for several years, which which was amazing. And uh, as a result, they got to know me, and they requested that I uh, become a spokesperson for them in a program called Gardeners which was basically uh, a program where they chose five gardeners from different parts of the country. And then we did how-to gardening videos at each of our you know, respective locations. So I was the West Coast gardener. And so um, I did, I don't know, probably 12 to 18 different how-to garden videos, which they then used on their national um, e-blast. So that was really super, super fun. Um, and then also having been involved at the Great Park in the Farm and Food Lab, uh, we knew that in the master plan of the Great Park, there was a 59-acre botanic garden planned. And so when there was discussion about uh, how uh, the plan for the Great Park would evolve and what components would be in it, uh, I formed along with a number of other master gardeners and just people interested in gardening a nonprofit uh, to make sure that the Botanic Garden retained its place at the Great Park. And so that's 
uh, one of my main activities now. Uh, so I basically wear two hats uh, currently. I wear my master gardener hat, which is basically uh, still volunteering for many gardening programs throughout the county. And then I wear my um, president of the nonprofit Great Park Garden Coalition hat, uh, in which I uh, work with the city and um, try to get that uh, Great Park Botanic Garden moving along. So I'm, I'm very excited uh, to, do, to do both of those. It's incredibly rewarding. That's great to hear. Um, I, I've talked to you before and I know all about the Great Park Garden Coalition through your website and it's really inspiring to see how you went from uh, going majoring in finance or studying finance and then going to your true interest in gardening. That's really cool. Um, I'm just curious, when did you enter the environmental movement and when did you decide to go into, you know, garden related work? I think you touched up on it, but if you could um, maybe elaborate on kind of the, the change from finance to gardening a little bit more. Sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I graduated from high school in the 70s. Goodness, you know, so, so that, that gives you a sense of when I came of age. And, and as you may know from history, um, there, the environmental movement really started in the 1960s and 70s. And so I would say that I have always in my heart and soul um, been a, a steward of the environment. But my uh, professional career uh, happened to go in a different direction because I was a, a very quantitative oriented person, you know, and, and started out as a math major, as luck would have it, at UCI, of all things, right? And, and, and then moved on to finance. Uh, but in, in my heart and soul uh, throughout my uh, career, and I, and I worked for um, a number of years at the Irvine Company and, and then later in a real estate investment company for many years. And, and I just always saw and knew that it was important to keep um, sustainability and planning and thought for the environment in mind while you were involved in you know, other activities. And so I, I would say it, it just started out very early. It's always been a part of who I am. And now I have the opportunity being retired from a paying job. Now that, now that I have unpaid jobs, <laughs> uh, I'm especially excited to continue to, to move in that direction. Wonderful. Um... You did mention that you were involved with all sorts of things from 2006, such as the Great Park Garden Coalition and all of these unpaid jobs. <laughs> I was just wondering, uh, within your focus of gardening, what has been the most meaningful or gratifying part of your work? And um, contrary to that, what has been the most challenging? Uh, the most gratifying is when I get to work with children. So I... Uh, pursue getting the Great Park Botanical Garden uh, underway because I, I know from my travels throughout the country and the world that our particular geographic area is lacking in places where children can go and uh, learn about nature. You know, we, have, we do have beautiful parks, lots of sports facilities, but, but what we don't have are places where uh, we can see in practice and use to to encourage you know STEM or STEAM learning, and uh, the other place that I've really seen that happen is I'm also through Master Gardeners a docent at um, Centennial Farm, which is the demonstration farm at the fairgrounds where you yourself might have gone on a field trip when you were in kindergarten. Did you go there? <laughs> yes, uh, and so. 
Uh, I, uh, from 2006 until it shut down in COVID last year, uh, have been a docent there every Monday and I tour groups of 20, 25 kindergartners, uh, one, at, one tour at nine and, and one tour at 1030. And so I have these amazingly beautiful, wonderful five-year-olds that I get to interact with every single week and teach them uh, all about where their food comes from, um, whether it's you know from animals or whether it's from the garden, which as you can imagine, I hang out in the garden part of the farm, you know, for a fairly significant amount of time. And, and it just uh, amazes me, but also breaks my heart when I have these little guys and it's the first time they've ever seen a strawberry on a plant. It's the first time they've ever seen an orange on a tree. And I just encourage them that, you know, hey, if your mama gives you an orange in your lunch, don't you throw that away. And because I show them the orange blossom and I tell them it takes a whole year for that orange blossom to become an orange. So we have to, you know, really appreciate what nature has given us um, in terms of these beautiful foods. So it's a very long answer to, to let you know what my um, most rewarding uh, aspect is. And that is working with children uh, giving them places and opportunities where they can learn and, and frankly, just discover the absolute joy of nature and gardening. My most challenging aspect um, is uh, what I've been going through trying to support the, the Great Park Botanical Garden. Uh, that, of course, is uh, a process that isn't under my control. You know, that land is, is city land. There are a lot of different forces that want different things to happen out of the Great Park. And so my biggest challenge there is to educate people, particularly the powers that be, that a botanical garden is one of the most important things that they could do at the Great Park. Uh, we you know, have in recent times become very focused on sports, which I love. My kids played, I'm sure you're, you've played, and they're wonderful for exercise and building the concept of teamwork, et cetera. But um, while we've devoted a lot of time and resources to that effort, we've devoted very little to having public places where we can preserve, study nature, and just get ourselves to be in a good headspace and, and uh, a healthy place where we can go of the tensions of, of modern society. Um, you, you, may, you may know that one of the few places that places that are still open during this pandemic are botanic gardens uh, because they are a safe place to go. Uh, you can be socially distant and uh, they are places which when I go just heal my soul because I'm able to be in that beautiful place of nature. Awesome. Um, as for sports, I think you mentioned I am a couch potato. I like <laughs> eating. I like uh, watching TV. I, uh, I dread physical exercise. But um, I think you did mention that the Great Park is, again, a city, um, city space, and it's a public area. And I think for all aspiring, you know, gardeners, um, people like me too, who um, have like small little organizations that they run on the side. Um, I'm just wondering how um, have you how did the Great Park Garden Coalition, you know, acquire that land, um, and what processes did you have to go through to, you know, talk with um, city people? Did you have to buy that land or um, get funding? Um, just 
um, some general things about how the land was acquired. Yeah, actually, um, we don't have the land. It's, it is city land. Um, what the city did in 2009 is, as you may know, um, or, or your listeners may not know, uh, the Great Park was uh, a marine base. And when the federal government was divesting itself of marine bases, um, the city of Irvine, because that land was adjacent to it, uh, annexed it. And it's 1,300 acres of land. And it, there was a, a um, master plan that was put into place to uh, determine what should be done with that 1,300 acres. And uh, on that original master plan, there was a 60-acre, 59-acre botanic garden, as well as museum sites and amphitheater sites, lakes, sports fields, you know, you name it. They, they did a plan to determine all of the components of that great park. Um, but it will, it will always be city land. It is, it is a park, it is city land. The, the challenge before us right now, uh, because that master plan, um, things have changed and it is not being followed any longer. And so the reason that our organization, organization uh, came to life was we wanted to be sure that the botanical garden was preserved as a use. Uh, in the original plan, there was not um, a Wild Rivers water park in the Great Park, and there now is a Wild Rivers uh, water park planned for the Great Park. Uh, there was not a Ducks ice hockey facility in the original master plan. You know, there, there is that now. And um, all, all of which are great things, but um, what we want to, to make sure um, from our organization standpoint is that the botanical garden doesn't get pushed out of the Great Park. We want to make sure that it continues to be a part of the Great Park. And, and the good news is, is we have a city, elected city officials who are very supportive now. And so we are trying to determine where that location will be. Uh, and there are, you know, you may have heard of the veteran cemetery that is supposed to be um, in or near the Great Park as well. And so all of these uh, different uses are uh, competing and it, it is the city's task to figure out, you know, where they should all go and, you know, to find the money to build them. So our organization's uh, purpose is to support that effort. Um, most botanical gardens uh, are on some sort of city land. The exceptions are like Huntington Library and Gardens, you know, that land was donated by um, Mr. Huntington, you know, way, way back at the uh, beginning of the century. And uh, so he donated that land and those buildings and money to preserve it. Uh, the other way that you have botanic gardens is that the counties or cities decide that the people need botanic gardens and so they uh, identify land and support the creation of them. So that's what we're trying to do here in Irvine is to get that to continue to be part of the Great Park. Awesome. Yeah, I I talked to um, who is now our current mayor, Miss um, Khan, um, a couple of months ago and she was all over the, the botanical garden. She loved it. And I'm sure, though I haven't visited yet, I'm sure um, what you're doing there is fantastic. So um, 
I just wanted to know what do you enjoy about gardening and why do you think such botanical gardens are important? Oh gosh, you know, I could talk all day about what I enjoy about gardens and gardening. Um, so two, two aspects of it. First of all, gardens. You know, anyone, whether they like to get their hands dirty or not, uh, enjoy, can enjoy gardens if, if, they, if they take the time to go look at them. I've had the opportunity to go visit gardens all over the world, all over this country. And, you know, no two gardens are the same. Every garden has something different. Some of them are almost like, uh, you know, Disneyland, if you will, with their, you know, varied uh, things that they have. You know, they can have water features that kids can play in, um, you know, climbing walls. Uh, they can have concert venues. Uh, during the holidays that we just, any of them had these amazing, you know, light displays that you could go purchase tickets to see. Uh, but on the other hand, they can just be a place where you can go to find rest and peace and connect yourself back to nature. I, you know, other countries, you know, the, the Japanese, for instance, have, and the Koreans, you know, many of the Asian cultures have very, very long, you know, thousand of year histories with uh, love of gardens. And um, so they've actually done studies uh, on something called tree bathing, forest bathing, where they have taken your vital signs before you go basically sit in a forest or walk through trees, you know, and your blood pressure is X and your heart rate is Y and, and so on and so forth. And then you spend this time uh, in the forest or walking through the trees in this garden and they take your vital signs again and everything has just calmed down. You know, your stress levels and everything have just, you know, been miraculously helped because you participated in, in just going into a garden. Um, so just being in a garden can mean, you know, infinite number of things to, to people. Uh, but when, when you also then garden yourself, as, as you know, the, the thrill of um, discovery when you plant your first seed and watch, watch it grow, uh, when you are you know, planting a vegetable garden and you get to you know, harvest the zucchini or the carrots or the tomatoes and bring them in and cook them and eat them, there's just something that, that touches us. I think we're wired because this is how we evolved uh, to, to be connected to the earth, to be connected to our food in a very personal way. And with modern society, we've gotten away from that. But um, everyone I know who tries to get back to it, even just growing some potted herbs on their windowsill, uh, really finds it quite rewarding. Yes, I, in my experience with gardening too, uh, I remember having, I think the first plant that I've ever grown was zinnia, zinnia seeds. The, the flowers and it's so gratifying to see your plants growing for the first time and so interesting how um, just one tiny little seed can turn into something like that so I totally relate and uh, see where you're coming from. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you did mention um, in your answer just now a bit about how um, you've been all over to um, gardens throughout the nation and I'm sure that there were fantastic ones um if, if any come to your mind um do you know or do you mind sharing um some of the the best gardens that you've been to or some of the most creative and fun 
Sure. Uh, you know, I'll start with just local gardens because um, I, I don't know how far your, your leadership, uh, I mean, your listenership um, covers, but I think that it is important for anyone who even has just a slight interest or this day and age just needs to have a place where they can, you know, calm down and get, get their mind in a better place. Um, in, in Orange County, we don't have um, you know, many gardens, which is why I think that the Great Park Botanic Garden is, is important. But we do have the lovely little Sherman Library and Gardens, which is, I believe, only a four acre site um, on Pacific Coast Highway in Corona Del Mar. But it is absolutely delightful and lovely. So I would encourage uh, Orange County people to, to visit that. In, in LA County, of course, there's Huntington Library and Gardens, which is quite amazing. I was just there a week ago and uh, just the Chinese garden is stunning. The Japanese garden has been there since the 1920s. And then of course they have amazing collections of many plants and a beautiful rose garden. Uh, so I, I would, you know, if, if you get a chance, amazingly during COVID, it only took us 45 minutes to get up there. Who knew that, you know, Pasadena, San Marino was so close. <laughs> and then they have uh, in LA County, several other um, Descanso, South Coast Botanic Garden and the LA Arboretum are also you know, in, in easy driving distance for us here. Um, in the Bay Area, there's the San Francisco Botanic Garden and Golden Gate Park. And Golden Gate Park is what I hope the Great Park becomes. It's, it's about almost exactly the same size as the Great Park. And within Golden Gate Park, there are, oh gosh, I forget now, but you know, there's six to eight different gardens, the botanical garden being the you know, largest of them. Um, about 50 acres, I believe, 55 acres. Uh, if, if you go out of state, oh my gosh, uh, especially if you go to the Midwest and the East Coast, uh, people love their gardens. But if you just go up to um, Seattle, to, to Washington and Oregon, they have uh, amazing botanic gardens up there. Uh, the best Japanese garden I've ever been um, to is in Portland. And so I heartily recommend going up there. And that is in a complex that is also adjacent to probably the biggest and best rose garden I've ever seen. Uh, Portland is known as the Rose City, who knew? Um, and then they also have a, a very large, I think a hundred acre plus arboretum up there. Uh, but you know, on the East Coast, I, I was so blessed a year and a half ago to go to the American Public Gardens Conference, which was held in Washington, DC. So we got to, uh, I mean, who knew that the Smithsonian has gardens all along that walkway? And we got to go to the, uh, the National um, Arboretum uh, and get tours behind the scene and to all the greenhouses that are the Smithsonian greenhouses. So our, our own country in every state that you go to uh, has some amazing gardens. Um, probably... My two favorite gardens that I've ever visited would be Longwood in Pennsylvania and, um, and then actually technically in Canada in, in Victoria is Bouchard Gardens, which is just stunning. Um, and, and the amazing thing about these other places is they don't get to garden all year like we do, you know? They only have like a six month season or so. So we are so blessed to be in Southern California that one day when the Great Park Botanic Garden exists, it'll be available for people to go to all year long. But yeah, it's just 
wherever you go, you know, just Google Botanic Gardens and you'll see some amazing places. Awesome. Um, I, I um, especially with the Botanical Garden in Canada, um, it seems like somewhere I would really want to go. And um, if, if I can convince um, my parents and my family to go there, I guess it's just a free vacation to Canada, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when, when you go, the, the way I did it is we actually uh, took a road trip. Oh, uh, awesome. And, and uh, so we were able to go to Portland, Seattle, and... Oh, wow. So, yeah. so if you're going to go, try and talk them into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now that everything's, you know, virtual and um, in our dictionary, in our human dictionary, we find terms like virtual background and, um, I don't know, Zoom. <laughs> um how has the COVID-19 pandemic kind of impacted your gardening life and um, your community service to gardening? Uh, I have never spent more time gardening than during COVID. <laughs> and I think many people who ever tried it or hadn't had time to do it before have been able to either start gardening or expand their gardening during COVID because we are you know, stuck at home a lot more than we used to be. Um, and if you ever want any evidence of that, uh, I suggest that you go to a local nursery. I ran down to Green Thumb yesterday to, to try and get some additional plants from my veggie garden and their shelves are just bare. The, the poor folks cannot keep inventory in because so many people are gardening. Uh, so from that standpoint, it's been a real boon for gardening. Uh, for, on the volunteer side, it's been quite sad. As, as I mentioned, you know, Centennial Farm had to shut down. And so the poor little kindergartners last year and this year, um, last spring and, and then this year are not getting their tours, which, you know, breaks my heart. Um, but it'll, it'll open up again as soon as it's safe. And also the University of California um, who is the you know uh, organizing group that Master Gardeners, University of California Master Gardeners work for. In the interest of our safety, we are only allowed to do virtual volunteering. And so I've been doing some Zoom garden talks, um, but we are not you know out at venues doing hands-on events until this uh, COVID situation is, is under control. So it's, it's had pluses in that I'm gardening and I think a lot of people are gardening more than ever, um, but the minuses are, you know, we really miss getting out in the community in person. That's right. Um, I, one of the, one of my favorite moments was um, doing the town hall on gardening with you. And um, I can see how it's, I wish we could have done it, you know, in person and had more, more, uh, I guess, plants or um, gardens to show. But um, yeah, it's, I'm still uh, grateful to have had that talk with you. But um, I, I, fun. I really enjoyed it too. I hope yeah. we can do more of them in the future. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, I know the Great Park Garden Coalition is a nonprofit. And for aspiring nonprofits, uh, do you have any tips and how do you stay afloat and with funding and um, other sorts of um, nonprofit activities? Great question. Uh, I think when you want to start a nonprofit for whatever uh, endeavor it is, uh, the, the most important thing is to find people who are like-minded and to find people that have particular skills uh, and not to be afraid. 
I, I'm married to, to someone who's a, a salesman by profession, right? And, and he, he, he can talk to logs, trees, you know, he can talk to anyone. Um, I'm an accountant, you know, so I, that is not in my skill set. And so I had to learn uh, to not be uh, hesitant and shy. And so I started out by just talking to friends that I knew, told them what this mission was all about. Um, ended up one of my friends is the managing partner of a very well-respected law firm. And she offered to put our, you know, documents for the nonprofit together pro bono. Um, you know, then reached out to other master gardener friends, you know, who had assorted skills and, uh, you know, talked one of them into being the treasurer and, you know, others into uh, sponsoring, uh, getting a website up, um, actually reached out to the, the film people that I met when I was doing the, the Scott's Miracle Grow Home Depot videos and said, told them what I was doing. And they said, oh, we'd love to get involved. And I said, okay, make us a video. So, you know, then they, they recruited for real, you know, professionals. And we ended up with this very professional video that would have cost six figures to, to do but we got it for, you know, peanuts because all we had to do was cover our, our out-of-pocket costs. As far as fundraising goes, um, you know, that, that depends upon where you are in the process and uh, what your goals are. Uh, so we are fortunately still in the stage where we are just trying to get the city to identify a site for, for the garden. And once that is completed, then um, there will obviously need to be a huge fundraising opportunity. And at that point, our first step will be to fundraise to hire someone who knows how to do big time fundraising, right? So, so when you are at the grassroots level, you can do a lot of it you know, on a wing and a prayer and with just volunteers. But I know that um, once we get a site, we'll be at the point where we need to actually start, you know, hiring people to, to do a lot of this for us. But there's nothing like heart, you know, heart is where all of these great nonprofit efforts start. So, so don't be shy, you know, reach out to people who have very specific skills that you need and just ask, you know, the worst they can say is no. <laughs> yes, yes, I totally agree. And um, again, your entire journey with gardening and the Green Park Garden Coalition is really inspiring to me too. And so um, I would love to see what you do next, especially with, um, you know, getting city approval for the botanical gardens and um, mass fundraising. Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm very excited for the future of um, your nonprofit. But um, especially during quarantine, do you have any suggestions on how kids can stay engaged with gardening during quarantine? and how we can learn more about gardening during this time? Yes, um, I think the main thing that kids can do is just talk to their parents, right? Their parents, uh, you know, for, for you know, young people your age are gonna be more than happy to keep you busy, right? The, the last thing they want you to do is be playing more video games or, uh, you know, sitting on the couch and, and eating junk food. So I think the first, the first thing, I think that that might have hit a spot with you. <laughs> the, the first thing to do if you are interested in gardening um, is to just talk to your parents and say, you know, 
I am tired of sitting inside. I want to be outside. I'm really frustrated that I can't do a lot of the outside things that I used to do. I'm bored. And, and here's what I need in order to do something productive. I'd like to start a garden. And a garden can be started for very, very little money. Packets of seeds, you know, are a couple of bucks each. Um, Home Depot buckets are, you know, what? four bucks each, those orange Home Depot buckets. You can have a garden with get, you know, 10 Home Depot buckets, poke holes in the bottom so the water will drain out, buy a couple of bags of soil, which are, you know, usually what, seven or eight bucks each potting soil, a couple of, you know, uh, packages of seeds. And for, you know, 30 to 50 bucks, you know, you can start a bucket garden. Um, I actually did a little video once on bucket gardens, just you know, and it was geared towards younger children, actually. Um, so I think that your parents will be probably 100% supportive. And then, of course, it can move from there. You can, you know, build a raised bed out of some lumber. You know, Home, Home Depot has, and, and I'm sure Lowe's and any other hardware store has, you know, lots of uh, inexpensive, you know, lumber. And you can go online and find, you know, super simple plans to build a raised bed, you know, is maybe, you know, four feet by six feet if you have a spot in a home where you can do that. Uh, so, so during quarantine, I think it's one of the best activities you can do. If you have, you know, younger siblings, I mean, what would they like better than to go dig in the dirt, right? And, uh, and your parents will just be glad, like I said, that you're not eating junk food in front of the TV. <laughs> And, and then finally, um, as a resource, um, go to the University of California Master Gardener of Orange County website. Um, as, as you know, I do a, a podcast uh, with other Master Gardeners on KUCI, and we are not recording live this year, but we are, fortunately, we had a library of four years worth of programs. So uh, those are on that website, and then you can also listen to them on Thursday mornings at 8.30 on KUCI. So those are great resources. Of course, you know, you guys can Google anything and find, you know, information on whatever topic that you want. Um, but yeah, I, I encourage you to do it. And, and I also encourage folks, whether, whether they're children or adults, um, if you're not killing things when you're gardening, you're not really gardening. You're not gardening hard enough. Don't be put off by any quote, failures. There are no failures in gardening. There's only learning experiences. And you'll, you'll have enough successes that, that you'll get hooked. Exactly. Um, especially the, the junk food part of that answer <laughs> and the killing plants part of the answer was very good. Um, so I, I just want to thank you for your time. And um, I know you have a lot of other things to do today, um, especially just getting out in the field again and start um, planting more seeds. Um, so I would just like to thank you again, and um, I hope we can talk more soon. Thank you so much for joining us for the Sustainable Future podcast. I really hope you enjoyed your time here. Stay safe, and I'll catch you next time.